Welcome to City Council. I'm Paula Viganalan, and I'm super excited to have on the pod a friend, a birthday bestie, a comedian, a hilarious reality TV show aficionado, Jasmine Ellis. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the pod. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Today's been a fun day. Yeah, what have you been up to? <laughs> okay, I've been finishing up Perfect Match, which okay. is... Oh God, they're unwatchable. Uh, and I'm then- watching that too. I'm watching that too. Jasmine and I are in a reality TV show group chat. And we <laughs> basically what the chat is, is one person starts watching a show and they're like, hey, somebody else watch this show so we can shit talk it. And then yeah. we all just watch a lot of reality TV shows. It's really fun. And that show is absolutely trash. So I did that, watched a little bit of TV, cleaned up, watched Abbott Elementary. I know. Uh, I love that show. I love it. I love it so much. So this hasn't been the most productive day, but I do have a stand up later and then I got a pedicure. So that was cool. So just oh, easy. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're a stand up and you are writing, you're looking into acting, right? You're doing all of the entertainment things. Can you tell us about where you started? What made you get into stand up? And then I want you to talk about how you found your boo. So I started stand up. Wow. I can't believe it's been almost 10 years, but it was 2013 for sure. Cause I know I graduated, I graduated college, you know, got my degree in broadcasting and thought that's what I was going to do. And I was working part-time at this radio station, but it doesn't, it was paying minimum wage. So I also was working part-time at this makeup counter. And my game plan was to like work my way up with the radio station. Like that's what I thought my focus was going to be. But at the makeup counter, I met this guy who was just this really fun, amazing gay guy. I became friends with named Cody James. And he had just moved back to Dallas from New York where he'd been doing stand-up. And that job was so freaking, like, so stressful. Like, one of the most stressful jobs I ever had in my entire life. And sometimes I would just literally be on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And I'd, make, I'd say something to make him laugh. And he was like, you are so funny. I know you were, like, literally about to jump off a building right now. But maybe you should consider doing stand-up. It might really help. And I think you could be funny. And I was like, really? And the funny thing is, I grew up, like... Like, I didn't grow up, like, you know, growing up in Texas, you don't know anyone who's actually made a living in entertainment. That's not mm-hmm. a real thing. But you, like, watch television. And so I would watch, like, Comic View as a kid. I, I saw a lot of stand-up on BET. And, like, I enjoyed it, but I never really considered myself someone to do it. And so I was like, me? Stand-up? I, I don't know. Let me consider my options. So I went with Cody to an open mic in, like, September, October 2013. And I like, of course, if you're a new woman at an open mic, male comics just swarm, right? And so guys were trying to talk to me like, oh, you're doing comedy. And I was like, no, actually, I'm a journalist and I'm studying comedy, you know, just (laughs) not want to. So I went to like three or four open mics just to like get ideas of like, what do I want to do? And then I did my first one and no one was in the room and it was, uh, but it went fine. And I I got it over with and I felt good about it. And Cody was like so determined. He's like, no, you're going to be great at comedy. You're going to be great. I want you to do five minutes on my first, on my show that I'm producing. so Cody like did this like whole produce actually did 10 minutes this whole produce show and he got me a tape of it and it's like it's terrible looking back on it <laughs> but it really good for the time for like a yeah. first time show it was really good and I definitely got a taste of like oh I can do this this is easy and then from there I just kept going in the Dallas scene which was like not always the most supportive it can be really competitive like I mean LA's competitive but in like a weird way because it's like everyone's competing for what they don't realize is not even that much. the top 
Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, to to headline the Chuckle Hut and like, let's, you know, they're not very supportive. It can be very misogynistic. It's all things you don't like about club culture in one place. But also I was able to get in front of like five real crowds every week. That's and awesome. something I definitely took for granted because like compare like it's a poo poo on people who start in L.A. But like, I just think performing in front of your peers truly hinders you as a writer. I, I think that the comic brain is not the every person brain. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be. I, if we, we'd be in a really bad world if everyone thought and acted like comedians. So yeah. if you're only putting your material in front of comedians, you are going to become very unfunny. <laughs> I started in LA, actually. <laughs> There's a few of us that we're still chugging along. But, yeah, and you're great. Yeah. But like, you know, like you, like, you can see, I think there's a difference. Yeah. Like, just getting to, like, imagine if every open mic there was a, like, 10 to 100 people who were not comedians and it's just like like how good that is for you yeah and part of the reason that i feel like i was able to keep going is that i started traveling really quickly like i started going outside of la for spots like very early on within like a couple months so i think that yeah it really depends on how you spin it and how you strategize it early on which is hard to think about because when you jump in you don't even know what you're you think you're a journalist when you first start you know what i mean (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then you started and then you met your husband in the comedy scene. I did. So we met I don't this is this is a fun story. I don't remember meeting him. And <laughs> I, I literally told this story the other day because I confused a comic with another comic and I was very embarrassed. But yeah, I, I I walk into some open mic according to him and he remembers me and I like walk in and he'd never seen me before and he says hi and I say hi to him and I don't remember that at all. What I remember is like six months later doing this one open mic and he had this joke about how there's no such thing as intelligent design. This is one of my favorite jokes he wrote. He's like, I, I'm on the fence about God, but I definitely don't believe in intelligent design because what kind of God would make a baby that can't hold its own head up? Like the, the design of a baby's head makes no sense. It's like someone attached pipe cleaners to a basketball. And that made me laugh so hard. And so I DM'd him and was like, oh my God, the basketball pipe cleaner thing is so funny. And that just kind of like opened the floodgates of us just becoming friends. But yeah, we were friends for like a year before, like I was actually getting another comic um, before I even entertained like dating him. And I was like, I am not going to date another comedian. Like I'm focusing on me. I'm not going to date comics. I'm just not. But then like one of our friends just pointed out how we would be a good couple to our faces. And we were like, us? Really? I don't don't know. Maybe. And so, yeah. And it's crazy to think that was only a year into me doing stand-up because I'm not a really a relationship girl. I'm Mm. really like before my, before my husband, I'd never had a boyfriend for more than like two months. Like I was very an independent person and just didn't see myself even getting married so it's funny because it's like now I've been doing, I've been in a relationship as long as I've been doing stand up almost. Like there's only a one year gap. So it's yeah. like, I don't know this part of my life as a single woman. I mean, I've witnessed it on the other side and it, it looked rough. It, does, like, it doesn't <laughs> look great at all. Out here. It's not great. <laughs> I, think, I think the average man is really in, like intimidated by women period that are funnier than them let alone ones that do it professionally i think i think i'm an anomaly in this and it is really hard to find partnership when you have a career that every guy thinks they can do if you're a straight 
Oh yeah, I would like match with people on Bumble and stuff and they'd be like, oh, I'll give you some material or work out your jokes for you. And I was like, okay, I'll do orthopedic surgery for you. I'm like comparing the two. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. I got some kitchen knives. Let's go. <laughs> I know it's, it's really hard. And then also like the lifestyle in general, finding like a partner who's like, okay with the schedule, just because it's not the norm for people who like, work nine to fives and then you're out from five to whatever in the evening you know so you don't get to actually spend time together that's also difficult yeah. so it's it is you know everybody every comic in LA every female comic is like I don't date comedians publicly you know <laughs> they're like I don't date comedians <laughs> where people will find out you know but you know it we've is, all done it you know what I think is so dumb about it is it's like that's the very first advice people give you is like don't date a comedian don't like if you date a comedian but and and part of it is oh you'll be competing with each other it won't work out but there's also this undercurrent of slut shaming there's yeah. this undercurrent of if you date a comedian and then it doesn't work out and you date another one then you'll become this quote unquote chuckle fucker and people will think you just walk around and it's like if you if you were to survey adults and adults meet their partners at their at work work yeah. It's a customer who walked into their cafe. It's someone who they like said, you meet, where else are adults all the fucking time? Work, right? But only yeah. in comedy is it like, mm, if you do the thing everyone else does, we'll decide that you're a disgusting, filthy slut. But it's for women and not men, right? Because if you're yes. a woman, your career isn't serious. But if you're a man, you're the comedian. So yeah. this is a safe space for female chuckle fuckers. <laughs> the men, not so much. No. For our Patreon, do you have any juicy goss? I know you have some good stories with comedians, but I don't want you to blow up your career on my podcast. <laughs> but if you, <laughs> if you have any interesting moments in comedy history or anything else, frankly. Okay, so those are your your Patreon celebrity stories. And now we're back to the podcast. Okay, so we're going to play. A, it's not really a game. It's more of a lightning round. You love reality TV shows. They're a mutual shared uh, experience of ours. We're both catching up on Perfect Match. It is unbearable to watch. Mostly Artis is back and we hate him from Love is Blind. But I just want to ask you deep dive. Like I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You just answer right away. Okay. Okay. What's your favorite reality TV show? Love is Blind. Okay, what's your favorite? So that's a, your favorite dating show. What's your favorite non-dating show, reality TV? Weird answer, but it's the first thing about my head. Four Weddings. Four Weddings? What's that? Four, horrific, wonderful experiment from the 2000s, okay? <gasps> four women go to eat, four women who do not know each other, go to each other's weddings and rate them. Whoever gets the highest rated wedding wins the honeymoon. Now these women spend thousands of dollars and then are boohooing talking about, we can't afford a honeymoon. This is the only way we can go. We need to win. It was painfully racist. There would often be like groups of people who do like had never been around other ethnic groups. One of my favorite things that would happen is if it was an Indian girl wedding that the white people would be like, I mean, it was interesting, but I was expecting like belly dancers or something. I don't know, it's kind of like, like, <laughs> Or the food was really spicy. Didn't love oh it. Right? Oh my god! One time, a black girl had to go to a wedding. Go to a wedding at a plantation. She's like, "I'm gonna deduct points for that." It's fucking weird that this is a thing. Fucking fair should be disqualified. <laughs> the discomfort, the judgment, judging each other on the most important day of your life. Important day of your lives, if you will. Don't see it. Yeah, it's yeah. just so funny because a wedding is so personal. The concept of judging each other's wedding is so silly. And then. Yeah. 
the monsters at TLC brought this back like four years ago, but changed it. And all the women knew each other. <gasps> so it was really petty. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Wow. Were they in the same friend group? Were they going to be invited to the weddings anyways? Sometimes it was like, oh, y'all all went to the same college. And they'd be like, they kind of knew of each other, but weren't really like, they were kind of like more neutral towards each other, which was, I think, the most fun watch. Because you because... had to get some, you had to have them all have weddings around the same time, right? To yes. make it work. So they couldn't, mm -hmm. like, that doesn't happen in a friend group all the time. Yeah. Like, they, if they were close enough, they wouldn't have planned on top of each other like that. So yeah. it wouldn't be like besties. Like, no one was like, a bridesmaid in one wedding and then judging them like no it wasn't that i watched an anne hathaway kate hudson movie where they were like stealing each other's wedding dates and stuff and it was very what was it called bride wars. <laughs> yes bride wars that sounds like that have you heard of the tv show bridal plasty oh no is it plastic it's surgery really bad it's really bad they like try to they have all these challenges they have to complete and every week they win like a plastic surgery, like one surgery. And then they're trying to go for like to win it all and win like all of the surgeries they can get before their wedding and like their dream surgeries. And there was one episode that I have like it haunts me like a nightmare, like like a sleep paralysis demon. Sometimes it just appears in front of me. It was like a woman who won the week before. And so she got a boob job and then she had to like lift heavy objects the next week for the challenge so she was like going against the healing instructions in order to like win the challenge which was super fucked up so that's a show that exists and is out there and from way earlier on okay it's the worst who's your favorite reality show villain Ooh, favorite villain that's yeah. someone you love to hate and not just legitimately hate yeah um oh then Tiffany Pollard, AKA New York, the head bitch in charge. Yes. The, the queen. You the don't get the blueprint. The blueprint. She's the dynasty of like, I feel like maybe she wasn't the first one to say, I'm not here to make friends, but she's the first one who said it and meant, meant it. it. Yeah. <laughs> the most quotable, the most hateable. And here's the thing is like, what makes her a great, because you know, you would have thought I would have said somebody like Bartise or yeah. Kohler, but you can't love to hate someone if their harm actually does harm. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, like, New York was a monster, but like everyone could get it and it was equal. And she knew she was a monster. And whereas this new generation of gaslighting soft boys who swear they're good guys and you just <laughs> watch them like slowly emotionally destroy a woman that's not as much fun for me as no, just it happens in real life a bitch in the mouth yeah yes. <laughs> you don't want something that could ha that happens to you regularly in relationships you want something that's like cartoonish and like a caricature you know like that's yeah. why we're watching reality tv we want crazy shit to happen like <laughs> ever be a target of new york's rage because i'm not spitting on people or claiming i look like beyonce like, you know what i mean like, <laughs> i wouldn't do anything to deserve that that is so funny. Um, who's your favorite sweetie on a reality show? Your favorite all around God, so sweet, sweet babe. They are forgettable. Sweet people are very forgettable. Like I can't, it's hard for me. Oh, actually, I recently watched something called The One That Got Away on Amazon Prime that I really, really enjoyed. And I feel like nobody talked about. And the whole premise of the show was like, old people from your life can come Aww. back and you can date them. And so it's a lot of like, oh, I had a crush on you in high school, but I never told you, da, da, da. And there was this one guy on there named Antoine who had had a crush. It was like, um, 
Like he met, he's gay and he had met this, the main guy. I, can't, I think his name was Michael, but I remember Antoine in particular because Antoine and Michael had liked each other when they were both like in church as kids, uh, like 17, like youth group. But like, of course, neither of them were out and comfortable yet. And Antoine like really made himself vulnerable and put himself out there. And then Michael just ended up dating. You know how a lot of white gay men date someone who looks like their twin? It was like yeah. one of those situations. Oh, I hate Where you just like, you know what I mean? And they appeared to have nothing in common except like just a lot of sexual chemistry. And Antoine was like really crazy about, I think his name was Michael. He was Aww. just so sweet. And I hate when, when someone is really putting themselves out there and they get their heart broken. And that was a hard watch. I felt bad. So I, I loved Lauren Speed from Love is Blind. I thought she was a sweet. I love Lauren! Her and her <laughs> husband, who's a white guy whose name I forget. Cameron. Cameron, yes. They're very cute together. I think they're very, like, the reason they worked was because they're so stable and communicative, and they're very cute. She's one of my favorite sweeties. There's some, oh, there was a girl who... I forget from love from love island i watch a lot of love island that show is also racist it really pisses me off at the beginning they first of all same everybody has the same body type everyone just same exact body type i'm not shaming the body type i'm shaming the fact that it's just boring it's just very heteronormative it's boring um you know what i mean and so like the the fact that they only have that body type like they need to diversify the show but what they do is they have the girls and the guys like at the very beginning, they couple up for the initial couples and they have five girls and five guys. And you like, there's this thing of like stepping forward and picking your match or whatever. There, It's always like the black guys step forward for the black girls and no one else. And it, it makes me so mad. I'm like, it just like, I'm like, they're, they're literally like the most gorgeous girls. And like only one person will, cause they only have like one black guy and one black girl at the beginning. And the rest are like white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like all these other girls who are like black fishing, get all these guys stepping forward for them. But the actual black girl only gets one. And I'm like, Oh, it pisses me off. But I think they should make a queer version because then all bets are off and people will have no idea who's going home. <laughs> I think they need to make all these hella queer and like put pan people in there. Make them, they'll be agents of chaos, I think. I would love to see more body diversity on dating shows. Yes. It is, ugh. I mean, it's just literally the exact same shape and build in different bikinis. Also, these bikini shows, I love them. But like, sometimes I'm like, why are they in a bikini right now? Like, oh, this no is- we know no why. Water, like a perfect match. I'm like, there's no reason to not have on clothes. Like it's not. I <laughs> mean, their social media followings say otherwise. <laughs> so it's, it's really funny that they have people from Love Is Blind on there, which is a show that's like not supposed to be about looks. Yeah. And then the perfect match is the most shallow because literally people have like minutes to decide. Yeah. Like I guess I would fuck you. Therefore, you're my match today. You know. Yeah. And to, It's such a terrible concept. It's the worst. And when I saw they had Nick Lachey hosting without Vanessa, I was so mad. (laughs) I know. I was like, are they okay? (laughs) Are they all right? (laughs) No, he's getting some money for the divorce settlement. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wait, did they think? I don't know. I'm making that up. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, oh, my God, no. Then love is like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like that. I have no conclusions from that. I saw Emily Catalano is a very funny comedian. She had a joke about love is blind. And she was like, they asked, you know, the premise of the show is like, is love blind? And it's like, why don't you just ask a blind person? <laughs> like, why do you have to do the whole show? Blind <laughs> people exist and are in love constantly. <laughs> like, Okay, last question in this lightning round. What are your 
like red flags, signs of a cheater, signs he's not committed to you that you've learned from these real as your as professor of reality TV shows. <laughs> I, I feel like the real uh, reality TV doesn't count in my mind because okay, okay. it's a bunch of unhinged people yes. who have either the money, time, resources, or desperation to step away from their lives to be on camera. Yeah, like nothing, nothing really matters to me. It's sports. It's just it's a game. It's a game. It it's is. entertainment. It is. But here are the signs that someone is a cheater. Okay. For an inability to answer direct questions. Mm. If they answer questions in a way that make you not, if, if you're like, wait, I don't know what the answer is, that's a cheater. It's yep. cheater behavior. I recognize this even in men, like, I'm not even dating. But if you ask, like, a male booker what time a show starts and they answer in a way that doesn't fucking, I'm like, you cheat so much, you can answer <laughs> them normally. Like, <laughs> that's so funny. You know what I'm talking about? And the kind yeah. of guy who's like, can I answer a real direct question about what time it starts and who's going to be there and how much they're paying you? Yeah. Like, it's scammy behaviors bleeds into everything else you do. I don't, yeah. if you cheat on your wife, I will not hire you as a business partner. Like I just yeah. don't. I always I, say men are volatile investments. Like I don't know why people like, I love to collaborate with women. I feel like it's so much safer a business investment to work and collaborate with women because the trust is there and the, and a shared sense of values. It's not always there, obviously, but within comedy, it's much less r risky to work with a woman, you know? Cause you're like, there have been times where I was like working with dudes or getting booked by dudes. And then they're outed as like a sexual predator. And you're like, well, there goes that whole, you know, project. I don't ever want to look at it again. And then all of your work disappears in addition to all of the trauma and terrible things that they've done. But even beyond that, like just working with people, I feel like it's so much better to like work with women you trust, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've learned. I in comedy. With that. Yeah. I think women are just socialized to feel more of a sense of like responsibility in the world. Like yeah. I have responsibility to be a good person because everyone should. Whereas men are like, what is in it for me? Which is why they like surpass us in so many things yeah. because they are always, it, it's just I mean, like, you know, it's, it's because they're not thinking about other people 99% of the time. I don't know. Well, I'm making, yeah. oh, I'm, of course I'm painting men with a broad brush, but yeah. Yeah. And the we're also talking about in comedy specifically, which attracts a certain type of personality. So It does. But an inability to answer direct questions is my number one red flag. Um, I would say the next red flag is um, um, if they use sales tactics in regular conversation. I That's worked in sales weird. for years. <laughs> and you see this a lot on reality TV. So if you'll notice that, like, the thirstiest person on these shows will be like, they'll just say your name, like, Jasmine. I just think you're so interesting. <laughs> tell me more. Like saying someone's name a lot creates a false sense of trust. I read about those tactics where you like repeat things and you and you talk like them and you try to mirror and that actually doesn't work. Like that doesn't work. Like people think that's like what people in business are taught or like or in sales are taught and think that they should do. But actually, like scientifically does not <laughs> doesn't work. So it's like people who think who like are bad at sales <laughs> that are trying to use these tactics on you, you know? Yeah, I just think love bombing's a big one. Like, no, this man does, is not crazy about you right now. He yeah. wants whatever he thinks he gets from you thinking he's crazy about him. Yeah, I, a big one that I've noticed is if a guy like rubs his hands together and licks his lips as he's approaching you, that's a cheater. <laughs> that's a cheater. <laughs> he's all mm, biting, that, biting the bottom lip. Mm, that's a cheater. <laughs> 
know. It's such a weird bot. I don't know who taught them we like that. We don't. We don't. Are, dude, they can be so coordinated. That's like the thing about reality TV is it makes me cringe so bad because I also know some of those people in real life, like not not those stars, but like men who act like that, who try to use those lines. And I bust out laughing in front of their face every time. I'm like, how does this actually work for you, dude? It's so corny. You have to be, I don't know. The women who go on these shows, though, I think they are like the cream of the crop as far as like attractiveness and all these good things. But then there must be someone in their life who they compare themselves to. Because I think you have to be a little bit insecure for this to work. You know, a little bit like the validation of like, this person likes me and that person likes me. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's a beautiful personality type that they cast and they're, they're so good. Yeah. And it's, I, I eat it up. I watch each one. Yeah. They're pretty much formulaic and I just, I love it. I live for it. It's, it's so, fun. it's, it's fun. super fun. Okay. So now we're going to go into news trivia. Okay, which American author has, in a refreshing surprise, been very vocal about defending the trans community recently on Twitter? Is it embarrassing that I don't know a lot of American authors? No. Nope. Like, mostly I read uh, celebrity biographies. You read the novelizations of reality TV shows. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a thing, is it? Oh, God. No, I just mostly read like so and so's autobiography. So and so. Okay, so if I was just gonna guess somebody, it's like it's just the first name that's popping in my head is gonna make you Go Danielle ahead. Steele. <laughs> no, no, it was not Danielle Steele, but I love that that's the first name that popped in your head. It's Joyce Carol Oates. I'm gonna play a clip of of Matt Walsh. Well, I'm not going to play it because I hate him, but he basically claimed that he'd rather die than have a trans child. And Joyce Carol Oates quote tweeted it and said, utter shock of discovering that your child is not a clone of yourself, but an independent individual being with a personality unfathomable to you, not a possession of yours, but unrecognizable, quite a blow to the parental ego. Someone must be to blame. And then she's just been going in. She's been quote tweeting people who are like being transphobic. She's like the only thing that the vast majority has to fear from the private lives of individuals who represent a small minority of the population is that their irrational hatred for this minority will poison their souls and lead their own children to abhor them. It's natural to wonder that fanatics can live lives dominated solely by hatred and violence. It would seem impossible, but then perhaps they don't live long. You know, just like just just these quick like quote tweets of people defending trans people. It's been cool. I vaguely remember remember Joyce Carol Oates saying something weird recently, but I love this like new thing that she's on where she's just like saying all the things that everybody should be saying all day. You know what I mean? Just being like, fuck these fascists. Anyways, this next one, I cannot stop quoting it. I'm like running around my house singing this song all day to my dogs who went viral and then deleted their Twitter for Ariana DeBose because I don't know if I said did the thing. thing. <laughs> I, DeBose, I am obsessed with everything. It is so camp. She was at the BAFTAs and she sang a song. I'm going to play the clip here. The category is outstanding. Take you. Charlotte Wells. We love out the sun. Georgia Helene Blue Jeans. The one. Eleanor Maya. The teamwork's grand. Good luck to you, Katie Brand. Electric Maladez. Marie Pearl. What a slave. Sandy Powell without fellowship. Cool Street Wing. And you fix the zip. All the ladies in the room. Supporting and leading. All here, I presume. Hong Chao. D, Carrie and Carrie with the C, Dame Emma, I'm so fond, Anna girl, you were great and blonde, Danielle D, you broke my heart, Michelle, I've loved you from the start, Angela Bassett did the thing, by 
Paula Davis, my woman king. Magic Kate, you're a genius. Jamie Lee, you are all of us. But that's what she did. She sang that song. And now I'm just like yelling at my dogs. Angela Bassett did the thing. <laughs> like nonstop. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Oh, I feel so strongly about this. First of all, it is camp. It's hilarious. It's amazing. It's so great. I love it. I wonder if she deleted her Twitter though, because a lot of the comments were just like, oh, it's cringe. She's even embarrassed. And it really makes me hate the way that the internet ruins live performances. Because yeah. I watched the entire thing. Yeah. And it is like, like I don't think anyone was disgusted or weirded out. I think they weren't expecting to hear their name said. So they're just yeah. kind of like, the look on their faces are surprised. Uh, I think she was giving it all she got. Maybe a little, yeah. like she was dancing so fucking hard. She was yeah. singing so hard. Yeah, she was a little out of breath. But it was it was so fun. And I think the internet turned like, uh, like three minutes of fun into like just this weird judgy thing a little bit, but I, you know, it's kind of funny. I feel like it goes by social network. Like Twitter yeah. is being judgy about it, yeah. but TikTok lives with it. TikTok yeah. loves it. And I'm with the TikTok gaze. I think it's fucking great. And I, I have been it. thinking, Jamie Lee, you are all of us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I I like, my woman. I've been like replacing all the names with things or like with my dog's names or like things that are happening oh. or like hyping myself up in the morning. I'll be like taking out the trash and I'm like, Paula Viganalan did the thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> just it's our new anthem. I also think. I'm, I like that you said it's like a TikTok, like, you know, TikTok is rallying behind it because it really reminds me, I tweeted this, but it really reminds me of my money don't jiggle jiggle. It fold like it like taking over the conscience of like all of, of the social media site, you know, it made me so happy. And also, did you see like the backstage right when she was getting ready of her singing, like prepping to sing everything. People, people were mean about that too, but I'll send it to you. It was really fun. It's okay to try. I think that's the thing yeah. is people, people who would never do anything besides talk shit on the internet cannot imagine getting in front of an audience and bearing their soul like that. Especially yeah. the audience of your peers or people who are maybe even more famous than you or better than you. And the fact that Ariana just, she got up, we're never gonna forget her. And no, I, I love, love her. It. I love, I love it. it. Also, musical theater kids, we love you. Do your thing, you know? So there was a very interesting episode of the show Finding Your Roots, which is where people find out, like, who in history they're related to. And there was someone who found out that they were the descendant of passengers on the Mayflower. And there's been like a really intense response to this because of who found out. Do you know who found out? No, who was it? Angela Davis, the activist mm -hmm. and icon, found out that her ancestors were on the Mayflower. And people, and I'll play the clip here. Any idea what you're looking at? That is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. <laughs> no, I can't believe this. <laughs> no, <laughs> my ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. You, your ancestors came no. on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You no. are descended <laughs> no, no, no. from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much <laughs> to deal with right now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never. for this country? <laughs> never, never, never. 
she was basically shocked. And then there were a lot of people who were responding to like responses about it because they were like confused about why she was shocked or her reaction. And it's because if her ancestors were on the Mayflower, that means that the other ancestors that she was related to who were oppressed were raped by those descendants. So I think that's like the discussion that's being had now is there's a reason she's shocked and she is in denial and she's having that very genuine, you know, reckoning reaction with it. I, I find that show so interesting. It is very shocking. And it especially for Black Americans, I think I think like Questlove was on it and his ancestry, I think it was Questlove, his ancestry was related to the like last slave ship that came over before you know they stopped the slave trade from Africa watching people's reactions it's like okay here's all this like generational trauma you're welcome (laughs) like unpack this on tv so it's just it's just created an interesting discourse online and what it means to found the country and I glanced a little bit at the comments in there and it was kind of interesting because I don't I I feel like the white people who (laughs) white people are doing two things here that I just fucking love and by love I mean hate one overanalyzing a black woman's reaction to something they're acting like she's being angry or or like mad about it where in actuality it's just like I don't perceive that as mad I perceive it as it's only just her being like wow the Mayflower I think every black American person knows that they are, I think on, they've done studies that it's like somewhere anywhere from 12 to 25% white, no matter how many, like, no matter, like, like, for example, myself, like my mom is black. Her paperwork says black. My dad is black. His paperwork says, actually, they're so old. Their birth certificates literally say Negro. Okay. Oh, All right. Shit. Yeah. They, they just, they just stopped using Negro in, in Louisiana on birth certificates, like in the seventies. Okay. So like, I know that I know I have four black grandparents. But like historically, it is like the South is what the South is. And so if you if you didn't come here self, if you your grandparents or your parents didn't come here themselves from Africa, then you were brought here through the slave trade and rape and non-consensual relationships between black and white people were a big part of that lineage. I don't that's why I don't care actually to get my DNA test because I know I'm going to come back at least 25% not black. Like I mean some of that is the the French settlers and the freed black slaves because my family's from Louisiana and they're Creole and you know all that but I think being black American is its own thing and I'll, yeah. it's, it's very it's very frustrating because a lot of times people act like black Americans don't have their own culture. Like we're just like or, or like oh like oh like for example AAV is not real. It's just it's just it's just slang. It's just Internet English talk. spaghetto. No. Yeah. That's the one that fucking yeah. They act like we don't have anything that's ours. And it's like, I don't think Angela Davis thought she was that light skinned and not mixed with something. But also, here's the thing is like, I don't consider myself mixed because I am not the product of a non black person. Yeah. I, I was not raised by a non black person. I was not, I don't like, I didn't grow up in a non black. The first white person in my family I married. Okay. Like, it's. <laughs> I, I picked him. He was nice. And here's the thing, too, is like America, it's really funny because this cultural flip flop that's really funny to watch because we had the one drop rule in American society for so long. If you if you were Mexican and white, you were Mexican. If you were Asian and white, you were whatever you were. If it was not white, you're that. Yeah. The one drop, if you had one drop not white, you weren't white. Why? Because it, it made white more important and more rare and more valuable. And now I feel like whiteness, like all things that are dying, tries to grab hold of things before it dies. So now the thing they're coming for is like, you know, this this happened in the 60s, you know, like, you know, Italians weren't white. Irish people weren't white for a long time, but then they became white because whiteness needed their numbers to get bigger. 
Yeah. So they need to absolve the closest whitest thing. Then it was like, if your ancestors came from anywhere in Europe, you're white. Okay. And now I feel like the new thing is if you're, if you're mixed with white, then you're like, it's like you're white. You're basically white. Zendaya is, Zendaya is not black. She's mixed. She's basically white. Like people need, they need, yeah. and they're, oh, Beyonce is not like black. They need, they need to take those numbers back. And so now yeah. it's like, if you're not, if you're not first gen Nigerian, you're not black to people. And I'm just, I'm sorry, my blackness is mine to keep just like Angela Davis's. She worked too fucking hard for it. And like that Mayflower ancestry is an interesting tidbit, but it doesn't change her identity. And she has yeah. every right to, to react like that. Like, wow. Cause finding out like, I th I'm sure Angela Davis knew she was mixed with white. She just didn't know she was like Mayflower white. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of white that white people brag about. Okay. Like, yeah. So I guess okay. I'm into country clubs. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. There's like a secret society of like the like the funny thing, there is like a, a like a Mayflower society that celebrates the white people who came from the Mayflower. Oh my and, god, really? Yeah, so imagine Angela Davis shows up at the Mayflower, the daughter <laughs> of Mayflower. That's fucking hilarious. That's hilarious. Oh my god, side note, I used to work at a country club in Ooh. in Wichita Falls, like years and years ago when I was going to college there, which is already like, literally the town was split up with railroad tracks celebrating white, like separating black and white people. And it was such a mind fuck being there. And I would work the front desk and I got this Angela Davis biography that I would read at the desk. That's so funny. And I knew like how uncomfortable it made the people who worked there. And I'm like, I love and I that. There reading my Angela Davis, you know, like, lear like learning letter, you know, just it was great. That's so great. I love that so much. Another fun moment, this was not as fun as it was heavy, but another a fun moment in pop culture recently happened where an old video resurfaced kind of referencing a celebrity beef and someone commented underneath it. Do you have any idea what happened recently? No, tell me everything. Okay, so there was a clip of someone talking about Taylor Swift and then Hailey Bieber makes a throw up face because she doesn't like Taylor Swift. And then it's like an old video. So then who would comment underneath it? Who do you think would defend Taylor? Who's her bestie? Every white woman between 16 and 32, or however old we are. Um, wait, who, who's her best? Uh, Carly Kloss? Selena Gomez, she said, oh. so sorry. My best friend is and continues to be one of the best in the game. She came for Taylor. Some people were like, you don't need to say anything, but I'm like, I've, re I've been a, I'm a Selena Gomez stan now, I think. <laughs> Especially because she has my dream job of working with Steve Martin and Martin Short in a TV show. I'm like, the dream job of like working with them. How fun would set be? It would be so much fun. That's funny um, that she, I, I feel like that was a weird uh, walking into a fight that wasn't hers. Because if this yeah. is not of Hailey Bieber, then who cares? And also, like, I'm sorry, I don't know why Hailey Bieber gives real, not like other girls energy to me. Yes. I feel like she went through a, like, and there was just a period where, like, Taylor Swift was synonymous with, like, the color pink and boy band. Like, like being a fan of Taylor Swift was like in admitting that you are like other girls. Yeah. So I, I don't really feel like she made an intelligent decision in that moment because I don't, I mean, here's the thing. We, Hailey Bieber, back when she was Hailey Baldwin? Baldwin. Yeah. I just, I mean, she's, she's not famous for anything. She's famous for being the daughter of someone, the wife of someone. Yeah. Like, what do you do to stand out? 
not like other girls, you know? Yeah. So I just, I bet she was like 20 when she did that. I I think that's kind of not weird. Uh, I understand Selena Gomez's reasoning for jumping in there, but I just think she, I think she's too important to be involved in like whatever that is. <laughs> she is currently the most followed woman on Instagram, surpassing Kylie Jenner recently. So Selena Gomez. <laughs> Track. She's a businesswoman. She's an actress. She survived the the Disney jail, uh, you know, like the Disney yeah. cycle unscathed. Like she's, you know, and no offense, she's like not necessarily super good at any one thing. And that's very aspirational, you know? <laughs> she's doing everything she wants, you know? I think she was, I think she's a good, I think her best thing is acting. I feel like, I feel like she's best at acting. And then she knows how to, she knows how to pick bops, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. someone who don't be singing, she's got a lot of songs. And that's very impressive to me. We love it. We love it. We love that she found that lane. It's again, inspiring to all of us. Okay, now we're going to dive deeper into a couple headlines before we get out. We're talking about train deregulation. There was a crash on February 3rd in East Palestine, spelled like Palestine, Ohio. A mushroom cloud of carcinogenic vinyl chloride burnoff, which is classified as a human carcinogen, erupted over East Palestine, Ohio. It caused people to experience smells and headaches, nausea and other ailments. Acute exposure to this can cause central nervous system issues. Chronic exposure causes liver damage, including a rare form of liver cancer. When it burns, when vinyl chloride burns, it decomposes into hydrogen chloride and phosgene. And phosgene was, is highly poisonous and was used extensively during World War I as a choking agent, while hydrogen chloride is irritating and corrosive to any tissue it comes into contact with. Norfolk Southern, the company that was responsible, they are the railway company, they initially offered $25,000 to the town, which is only $5 for each of the 5,000 residents that were affected. In response to all of this happening on February 3rd and people having to be evacuated and suffering these ailments, people felt like Biden made a faux pas by continuing on with his trip to Ukraine while Trump visited East Palestine and handed out like Trump water and said Biden abandoned those people in his strategy to campaign for 2024. He even went to McDonald's and he told the workers, I know this menu better than you do. I probably know it better than anybody in here. And let me tell you, Trump, we are not denying that. We are not denying that you know the McDonald's menu. Mary Todd Lincoln's gravy boat full of sweet and sour. <laughs> nobody loves mcdonald's more than trump i that's the most honest thing he's probably ever said <laughs> yeah 100 percent. pete Buttigieg blamed trump's deregulation pete Buttigieg, secretary chanted over here basically he said you know like it would be nice if trump would address the fact that the deregulations happened under his watch yes Interesting timing for Norfolk Southern workers who finally won paid sick leave after fighting for it for four and a half decades. And they just happened to win this week, you know, a couple of weeks after the crash. They're the third railroad company to offer paid sick leave. In general, there have been a lot of derailments. The Bureau of Transportation Stats uh, recorded 54,539 trail derailments between 1990 and 2021 with an average of 1,700 per year. And the article that I was looking at said that might sound like a lot, but the fatality rate from the incidents is low. It's just four deaths per year over the same time period. But if you consider like all of the chemicals and all of the long-term acute effects that this could have that may not necessarily be traced back to these, you know, these train crashes, then that number would increase. 
but basically they people have been saying that the the these crashes have increased due to the the deregulations you know the railroad workers were fighting for their their rights within the union uh, using the unions and biden didn't you know give them what they wanted during the strikes in like december i think and so this shit's happening Railways are suffering. People in those towns are suffering. They often build the railroads through poorer parts of neighborhoods. You know, it's not great. Yeah. Woof. All of that is awful. And it really sucks to see the way that like human beings lives are political playthings sometimes in lots of different directions. Like, and Trump is just so funny because he's so egregious. Yeah. Like he will, he will stand in front of people and go, where's your president? Mm-hmm. Like while standing on top of a mess that was made. Because the, the thing about, the thing with, that drives me crazy about Republicans and they're always pushing for like deregulate this, deregulate that, blah, 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 is there is this inherent belief that if rich people are in charge and allowed to do what they want to do, everything will be okay. Yeah. Because like if you try to control people's free will and money, bad stuff happens. Yeah. And that's not the fucking case. I just, ugh. Oh, it's just so fucking frustrating because they're like, and the thing is they're playing right in their hands. And I promise you, there are going to be people who maybe weren't going to vote for Trump going, yeah. He showed up. Yeah. Yeah, He showed up for us when in actuality it's like, um, and did what? Like, what did his presence there actually do? Was he like pulling people out of the rubble? Was he, was he like, was he even buying anybody McDonald's meals? You know what I mean? Like, what was like, was he feeding people the toxic garbage he loves? Like, no, but, but his presence there, like Biden had other stuff to do, which is like still valid. But it's kind of funny because if you, if you frame global work as deserting your people that's a fantastic thing to do when you're literally not the president yeah. like trump's just he's just not actually president so of course yeah. he he has time to do he doesn't have to confide with anyone else he doesn't have to make a plan you know what i mean like like i think trump just loves running for president more than he loved being president for oh fun. yeah for sure he loves pageants and and politics yeah. pageants for ugly people is a way <laughs> like think about what a pageant winner does they just stand there and go here's what i would do if i were able to like you know and i'm like i did pageants you stand there and you say here's what i change about school systems here's what i change with the world and then you never like truly have to do any of these things yeah the ability to present an idea and motivate people and and be seen it's you yeah. like wish for world peace and so did jared kushner and neither of us got it you know what i mean <laughs> like I don't think he actually did, but <laughs> I think we have a lot to learn from reality TV on this as well. Optics matter, right? You know what I mean? Optics and action, whoever gets there first and whoever happens to look like they're doing the right thing, they can manipulate the whole game. You know what I mean? Yes. Bartice gets in there, matches with Georgia, and <laughs> everybody else is left in the dust, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, the next topic that I want to cover is what's been going on with the New York Times. So in the wake of the stabbing murder of Brianna Gay, who was a trans teen in England who was stabbed to death by other other teens, in the wake of that, the New York Times published an article, an opinion article by Pamela Paul called In Defense of J.K. Rowling. And this was after that stupid ass Hogwarts video game broke records and shit or around the same time I can't remember but basically JK Rowling is doing fine and then there was an open letter written to the New York Times condemning the New York Times for all of the anti-trans rhetoric 
that it has been posting. There have been like several headlines, not just that that headline, but there have been you know, like a lot of a lot of people who are upset about the media's responsibility and how they're posing it as like a trans debate when like there is nothing to debate trans people exist. And it's like, do you want them to survive or not, basically? Or do you want to like hinder their ability to transition their rights and therefore cause them to not survive in this world? According to the ACLU, there have already been 321 anti-trans bills introduced into state legislatures this year. For example, Ron DeSantis supported the Parents' Rights and Education Act or what people call the Don't Say Gay Law, preventing people from even discussing or referencing their sexuality or gender in the classroom. So it's it basically is an open letter that was published to hold the New York Times accountable for this anti-trans rhetoric. Even in in North Dakota, as recently as this week, there have been a bunch of laws that were passed, like HB 1522 was passed yesterday, forbidding trans students from using a school restroom. HB 1473 prohibits trans people from using restrooms and showers in domestic violence shelters, correctional facilities, university dorms that are consistent with their gender identity. And when I say preventing them from using restrooms that are consistent with their gender identity, Uh, HB 1474 passed on Friday that required individuals to be identified by their sex at birth in all forms of state data collection, regardless of their gender identity. Oh my God. 1254 passed Friday, prohibiting doctors from providing gender affirming care to trans youth while allowing cisgender youth in need of similar treatment for other issues to continue to receive that care. HB 1297 passed Friday, preventing a trans individual from being able to change the gender marker on their birth certificate. So there is a war going on against trans people nationwide. And the fact that media like the New York Times is comfortable defending a billionaire and changing the conversation so it victimizes a billionaire who is a TERF, a self-identified TERF and person who is anti-trans, rather than discussing the actual individuals who and youths who are affected by these bills that's the conversation that's happening now and that's what they need to take responsibility for so here's what i see happening and i i'm being very very careful with my words here i feel like it is a discussion about what journalists are responsible for and what they do and don't do and i think that needs to be had because i think what's happening is now that we live in a culture with social media their social media essentially just means that we do media socially, right? Yeah. And for so long, if like if you were to look at like the newspapers in the fifties and sixties, you'd probably see things like uh, the Negro problem. Should we integrate schools? Is integration good for our families? And I'm sure we. I'm, I'm just making up titles off the top of my head here, but like it's probably not that far off from what was in the paper. Yeah, it was probably worse, honestly. <laughs> probably worse. Yeah. And it would be in the in the tone of like the paper, New York Times, whatever the paper may be, writes from the perspective of what they consider the base audience to be. Mm-hmm. And the base audience for most people in our minds and most Americans is cis people. Yeah. So it's cis people. How do you feel about the trans problem? The trans people, the trans people coming in and like, we talk about them like there's this this crazy outlier thing. And then the one thing that's on the table for everybody is their kids. If their yeah. kids are exposed to the idea that being trans is a valid possible lifestyle, well, then their kids may become trans and then people have to actually deal with their own transphobia. And here's what's tricky is that we're talking about what the New York Times is responsible for. And I think now that has to change in a way that I think 
it's changing so fast. I don't know if current media is prepared to keep up with it because now it's like, instead of saying that, oh, well, this is the paper, they just write objectively. They can, like, we're, we're challenging saying is the decision to write to, the decision to publish a piece titled In Defense of J.K. Rowling inherently transphobic. If you allow defense of a transphobic person, are you transphobic? And the answer is yes. But it's really, it is by doing that, we are, we are challenging people to do something completely different than they've ever done. Like we're, like our society just no longer allows bystanders. It's how people are not allowed to, you can't just say, oh, I don't really care about politics or I don't really think about politics. Like I don't think about, when you say you don't really care about politics, you're saying, I don't really care about other people. And we're just, we're holding everyone to a different standard. And I think the standard is changing in a way that's very positive, but it's going to feel too fast for the people on the other side of it. Because it's like, oh, well, we're just debating a thing like we always do. We always facilitate debate. It's like I was talking to somebody about why I hate the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, uh, I think Joe Rogan has a has a platform and a responsibility. And by allowing literal Nazis on the platform, he is giving them an opportunity to be seen. And this person was like, no, well, he just lets anyone be seen. And it's like, I don't believe in, in neutrality anymore. Yeah, I don't think it's neutral at all. And so by the, the New York Times, not it, it, like it's like, if you are not actively anti-racist, you are racist. Yeah. If you are not, if you are not anti-transphobia, you are pro-transphobia. Life is is very black and white now in a way that's changed, even like in the last two three years. And it's just interesting to see how we handle that with institutions like the New York Times, like papers, like news, like like how do you prevent? How do you present the news objectively when simply presenting it pushes the objective? If you by 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 pushing by publishing an article that is in support of a transphobe, you are saying that being transphobic is something that should be tolerated or or we should be open to. Like, it's basically yeah. like, look, if you hate racist uncle this much, stop inviting him to Thanksgiving. Every time you invite him, you are enabling him. Yeah. And we're asking, we're asking the New York Times to stop inviting Uncle Greg. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. I thought it was okay because I don't really say the same things as Uncle Greg. I just... Like you can't, yeah. we just don't allow neutrality in our society. And I think that is something that has changed so fast. It's making a lot of boomers and Gen Xers and millennials heads spin. Cause we're just like, wait, I thought you're always supposed to allow every thought, whether it's good or bad. And it's like, no, what you allow is what you, what you allow. <laughs> like, yeah. But I also think there are people, they're like, I mean, speaking of Angela Davis, there are people in every generation who have pushed back against that. People just weren't listening to them. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. so, yeah. So it's like, there is no excuse anymore. And if, if the society is holding ourselves to a higher standard, just like you said, we should, which I agree with, then you have to move with that. And also it's not objective. I mean, it was an opinion piece, but it's not objective to put someone in your paper and just present them like that when they're not an expert, they're just a billionaire popping off on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like it's not a scientific discussion. It's not a societal discussion. It's just someone defending a billionaire who the only reason we hear their voice is they've published like, like racist books about a magic wizard kid who turned into a cop 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, what does that have to do with the trans experience? He was like, he was basically a cop. Yeah, he became one of those ministry, whatever the fuck. I don't know. I forget. But yeah. It's just, it is really interesting because I think we are asking what used to be neutral parties to no longer be neutral. And the, because I went to school for journalism. So there is a part of me that feels like, I'm like, I'm kind of glad this isn't my job 
Like, I'm kind of glad that's not what I do. Because now, I, I when I get on stage, I speak for Jasmine Ellis. Only Jasmine yeah. Ellis. I speak for Jasmine Ellis. As opposed to conveying what I believe to be the objective truth. But do you like, think, I don't think those newspapers were ever neutral. I, I think they were always pushing an agenda, right? Like, I mean, if you, pu- if you publish a story that's in defense of J.K. Rowling, that is pushing a narrative. You know what I mean? I, the journalistic answer is, we published the story in defense of J.K. Rowling because the defense of J.K. Rowling is news. Like, that is a thing people want to hear about. It's, it's one perspective. It's an opinion. We publish opinion pieces. We can also publish why J.K. Rowling is canceled. You know what I mean? Like, the idea... But, but is- I think the idea is that they haven't been, you know, that they haven't been publishing, like, both sides, in addition to the fact that that isn't neutral, you know, what you were yeah. saying earlier. Yeah. Nothing. Um, I mean, it's interesting. We went from... Like, you know, there was a time before we didn't have a 24-hour news cycle. And then there was a time before we didn't have social media about a 24-hour cycle. So, like, news felt more objective when maybe it really wasn't. I mean, like, you know, comics always, Black comics have always had jokes about, like, how, you know, they always list the ethnicity of the suspect when it's one of us. You know, that's perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You got to wait and listen if it's a white guy. Like, a lot of things that feel neutral are very not neutral. The choice... To, to print pictures of MLK in black and white, even though color photography had been out for 50 years. Yeah. It's to make us think it was longer. Like, yeah. nothing's truly objective. And I think it's just, we're living in this culture now where people are able to push back and say, hold the fuck on. Yeah. And it's, yikes, New York Times, do better. Do better. Do um, better. It's just an easy thing to say, do better. But I think they don't, I bet you if you ask them, they're like, but we're just, being objective that's the thing we're yeah. just i'm just you know it's the same i'm just, I'm just shrug. it's just the you know you know me what you say stand by what you mean speaking of doing better we can all do better if we all support the mutual aid that jasmine brought on this week <laughs> the mutual aid babe of the week that jasmine is plugging which is it is Justice for Black Girls. You can find them on Instagram at Justice for Black Girls. And this is an organization that has this really great thing they're doing called Project Black Girlhood, which is all about um, helping Black girls and Black organizations that are focused on girlhood specifically for Black girls. Black girls are like, I want to make sure I get my statistics right, but I believe five times more likely to experience violence on school campuses. They're uh, five times more likely to experience suspension for the same offenses their non-Black peers are given a slap on the wrist for. And this leads to that school to prison pipeline, that pipeline where we are creating, we are taking Black girls out of the classroom and removing their opportunity for an education. So this organization supports these freedom fighting organizations. You can join their curriculum, learn about different books that they are suggesting that you read to learn more about this. But I've been following them for a while and just like really am a fan of what they're doing in their community. And I just think that uh, girlhood for black girls is very, very important. And I think black girls deserve to get a safe education just like everyone else and not be prosecuted or funneled into prison and it's it's real depressing but uh the bad things but the good things they're doing are pretty awesome so please follow justice for black girls on instagram that's a for the number so justice for black girls i'm so excited i just followed them thank you that's awesome and where can we find you and your things and what are you up to and how can we support you 
Yeah, I am on everything at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. I spell Jasmine with an E at the end, and Ellis is also spelled with an E. Sometimes people mix it up. Uh, I'm really the most active on TikTok, so you can find me on there. I'm also doing... Um, Right now, I'm kind of in the process of working on what's going to be my next album. I'm really excited about that. And then, uh, thank you. And I'm doing a lot of colleges and working on possibly a summer tour. So just follow me. Good things are coming. Hell yeah. I'm so excited. Well, thank you for joining us today and meeting adjourned. Yeah. This episode of the City Council podcast was written, created, and produced by Paula Viganalan. That's me. The music was written and produced by Ruby Ibarra. Be sure to follow us at City Council, spelled S-E-L, show on Instagram and Twitter for more weekly podcasts and live stand-up comedy shows. To support the show and for exclusive bonus content, please join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash city council show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.